This episode of Get In The Game podcast is presented by the Sports Spectrum Magazine. Stories and articles on the intersection of sports and faith that you won't find anywhere else. I love this magazine, and I highly recommend you all subscribe and get your copy today. We keep our subscriptions affordable for everyone, and it makes a great gift, particularly for the kids. Subscribe today at sportspectrum.com and click the magazine icon at the top of the page. Get your subscription now at sportspectrum.com. You won't regret it. Hello, welcome to Get in the Game Podcast with your host, Scott Langer, former MLB star and current water mission advocate. Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad. So let's dive right in. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Get In The Game podcast. I'm your host, Scott Linebrink, and I'm here to talk about faith in action with some friends of mine who have some great experiences, great perspectives. And today we've got former Major League pitcher Jeremy Affelt. Jeremy, welcome. Thank you, man. Looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Yeah, man, me too. Uh, You and I always have good conversations when we get together. We were together earlier this year at a men's retreat. Uh, and, and it just reminded me, I, I know we were never teammates, uh, our paths crossed a handful of times when we were playing against each other, but, mm-hmm. uh, you just, you're one of those dudes that I, I just kind of gravitate towards. So I'm excited to, to talk more. Heck yeah. So Jeremy had a 14 year career in major league baseball, uh, started with the Royals. Then he went to the Rockies, pitched a little bit for the Reds, but most notably for the San Francisco giants, where he won three world series. Uh, three World Series in five years. You've played in four um, with two different teams. So, man, no. it just it kind of sounds like you were at the right place at the right time, huh? That's pretty much what it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I honestly – well, Colorado was the craziest one because, I mean, you can't win there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just impossible, man. Just, it's just tough to do. Uh, so to be a part of that team in Colorado – but that was a special team, man. It's Holiday and yeah. Hop and – Helton and all these guys, you know, great pitching staff, great bullpen. Um, it was a really cool time to be a part of that just because you had to win on that 21 out of 22 win streak right at the end there. Just confusing all of media, blew up all of Vegas odds. And they, a lot of people lost some money. Uh, and a lot of people made some money probably in that one. But, uh, I, you know, but what it taught me, that Colorado uh, year was just like uh, – just an amazing year. I think God just kind of blessed me with a coming from Kansas city where you lose like a hundred games every year, hating the game of baseball, not wanting to play anymore. Taught me a lot about what he, his plan for me, uh, kind of set me on my, my trajectory. Colorado set me on my trajectory of meeting a homeless girl and giving her something to eat mm-hmm. and realizing how much our, our, uh, paths were somewhat the same when you're a major league baseball player and you don't, you, you don't like the game and you don't know who you can talk to because no one really is going to feel bad for you that you don't like major league baseball boohoo. You don't like going to a major league field, mm-hmm. making millions of dollars. Like no one has a feeling of like, man, that just sucks. So you feel lost and lonely. Uh, and then meeting a girl on the street who had split lip black guy, torn clothes. And you just looked in. And when you gave her the food and she said, thank you. And I felt like God stopped time and let me know that all he, she wasn't saying thank you for the food. She was saying, thank you for letting me know I exist. Mm. 
because everybody when you see a homeless person you uh, fake phone call you know mm-hmm. all of a sudden you become randomly deaf you know like you just you don't you you don't want to it's uncomfortable uh and man i think just that little bit of moment that girl was lost lonely didn't know who she could talk to you know and i was like man my my life i'm going to a freaking cathedral to to mm-hmm. to play a baseball game and she's living in a box on a street but our realities are the same Mm. in our mind and i needed someone to let me know i existed and so it just gave me that perspective of why i play the game and and it was to help other people it wasn't for me it wasn't for cars or houses or all these things it was like what platform is god going to give me to actually utilize whatever success i have on the field and don't be so much about you or your numbers but be about everything else and let the game be what it is and let it play out and change my life and what's the world series and had an amazing run. I had a great, I had a great playoff uh, uh, deal there. I, I pitched in all four of the World Series games. Had a great time. We lost, but you're like, ah, that's it. Never probably going to go back again. That was our one shot. I wouldn't say that. I would have thought three more were coming, uh, especially wins. So that was, it's pretty awesome. So. Yeah, Jeremy, I can just hear the the compassion in your voice, and I want to talk more about that perspective of you using your uh, your platform to leverage that for. A greater good. Um, but first, I want to talk a little baseball because yeah, let's do it. Um, you did. You were a reliever and a starter, mostly a, re- a reliever, but you came up as a starter. Uh, which did you like, and why? Man, I, you know, I I thought I would have liked starting just because I like competing so much and just like going out there after a game and just getting after it. And I loved it in high school. I loved it in the minor leagues. I think in the big leagues. You wanted to be a starter because the, I mean, think about it. I mean, you'd be a starter, you know what I mean? And Matt Cain used to joke around about it, you know, like for Father's Day one year, he got a fifth wheel and I got a tent. I'm like, that's a starter and a reliever. Like, we, you know, <laughs> it's like, that's how you think about it. You know, like they get all this, you know, I work once every five days and golf for four and make 30 million a year. And, you know, the rest of us are grinding out every day trying to scrap by pretty much, you know, but Man, I, I think I, so at first I thought starter would be it. I, 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 but man, the more I thought about it, I had a tough time bouncing back after a bad start because I had to sit on it for four days. And then I felt like all the pressure, how my mind thinks is all that pressure of like, well, now I have to do something. I, 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 I I've been I already tanked it. And so it's like, I put a I think I was mentally spent before I even got to the ballpark thinking about my my game that day and I just didn't approach it like a lot of good starters do where they don't even think about it until they get to the ballpark. This is their day pitch, but they get up in the morning, they have breakfast, dink around and then they go, then they start thinking. I couldn't do that. So for me, I think relieving became this deal of like how my mind works. And I look at it kind of like this Buffalo mentality of like, I take on storms, I charge them. That's the whole reason for the brewery. That's the whole reason why I speak on Buffalo. I'm writing a book on Buffalo. Like that Buffalo mentality. Yes. A starter has it, but me, for me, I, I wanted, I didn't want to be in a, uh, you know, zero, zero ball game with seven innings to go. I didn't want to be in a, I did terrible in 10 run games as a reliever, no pressure, nothing there. And the pressure that I felt as a reliever was not the same pressure that I felt as a starter. The pressure I felt as a reliever is my back's against the wall. I got nowhere to go. 
I have to, I have to, uh, I got it. It's, it's a fight or flight, right? Like, it's like, no, I'm getting brought into this crazy storm and having to help out. And so for me as a reliever in my mentality, I felt like, I felt like, uh, me as a reliever in my mentality, it was, Hey, this I'm needed right now in this situation, in the moment, it's crazy stuff's going on. And I've got no, I can't even outthink myself because the second I walk into the game, it is what it is. And mm. you got to go after it. And I just loved it, man. I just felt like my competitiveness got better. I thrived. I, 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 I wanted it. It was just everything in me. I actually got calmer. The higher, the, the more pressure later in the game, I felt like God like gave me more peace. And he said, this is literally where I have you. And there is such a time as this. This is your time. This I've got you. Whether I did good or bad, I got calmer and I felt like God was like, this is it. Where I never felt that as a starter, you know? So I just love just like competing in that moment. I might only get three hitters. I might only get one hitter, but I'm throwing the whole kitchen sink at you and I'm going to, I'm going to beat you and, and I'm going to help this game and, uh, and help this win happen. I'm not going to be the starter. I'm not going to be the closer. I'm going to be that guy that just is like, man, I'm just going to help it get the transition. And I felt like it's where I thrived. What was that like growing up in the Bay area and then playing for the giants on three world series teams? I mean, that had to be a huge kick for a kid growing up watching some of those guys play. Yeah. You know, I lived in Merced, California in the Valley, but it wasn't that far from Bay area. It was a couple hours. Um, and it was part of the military stuff. So I jumped around so much as a military kid, that I, I, that was just one of the stops, but it was my longest stop. My dad had his longest, uh, he was a instructor at Castle Air Force Base, which is pretty much the top gun of the Air Force at the time. It's closed now, but he was an instructor there. But when we were in Guam uh, for a little bit, because of, we were close to the West Coast, we, at that time in the 80s, it wasn't, we didn't have internet <laughs> in Guam in the 80s. So, but we got the games. We got the 49ers. We got the Raiders. We got the uh, Giants and the A's games. But we'd always get them like a week after they happened. Like you didn't get to watch the games. But that was the games that we got to see. So I always kind of had those teams. And then when my dad got stationed in Merced, it was two hours from these places. And, man, I was watching the Oakland A's quite a bit um, because it was the first stadium you get to. And my dad was like, we don't have to cross a bridge and deal with all that. And then we go to the Giants games, but he was like, it's freezing cold. So it was like, let's stay over on the Oakland side because you know, it's warmer. So I ended up going to the Oakland games more, but I was I was under my car retrieving a baseball, my dad's car, I guess, retrieving a baseball during the 1989 World Series when the ground started shaking. I thought the car was rolling on me, and there was an earthquake, and I, got to, I had to see that, you know, you saw all of that happen. I was a part of all of that history. And some of my favorite, my favorite pitcher of all time was Dave Stewart. You know, uh, Will Clark was the, one of my favorite guys to watch play. Uh, you know, and I Gallego was unbelievable. Some of these guys were my coaches in the big leagues that I was actually watching as a kid, right? And so to go into back into the Bay Area, um, at first I didn't really understand. I didn't see it that way. But then all of a sudden it was like, and they didn't ask for tickets. You have the friends that come out of the woodworks asking. They didn't ask for those. It was just friends were like, hey, like Jeremy and I'd look up like I went to school with you in fifth grade. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, you just don't think about that, you know, and 
And man, you know, my, 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 but the way God works is so incredible because it was in the Oakland Coliseum that I went and watched a game with my dad in when I was like 12 years old. And I was, my dad got us the lower level seats. And it was like right there, saw Mark McGuire, saw Canseco. I mean, I go down to this, the, and I never was that, you you weren't, back in the early 90s, it wasn't, you weren't as bold as a kid as you are now. We're like, give me an autograph, and they stuff a ball. I was scared to even talk to these guys. You know, I walked down, I was like, and they were massive. And now, and now thinking back, you're like, well, now I know why they're massive, but they were still big, <laughs> you know? So, so and they were just such big guys. And then, but they were just inspiring. It was like those uniforms were perfect and you, they were superheroes, you know, they were just like, and I remember sitting there and I, I'd, I think Dave Stewart was pitching that game. And so I was like, this is awesome. And I looked at my dad and said, dad, I'm going to play here one day. I was all excited. My dad patted me on the head, go get him. Now, I never went to a camp. I never had a special instructor. I, I, I didn't play on select teams. It was little league. You know, that's all you had back then, man. It was just literally, and my dad's like, go get him, you know, just, and, and he never really said anything else. He just let me play. And then I remember in, two, uh, in 2002, I was walking in through center field of the Oakland Coliseum. Uh, and uh, I had my Nokia phone, the phone with the snake. Remember that game? It was the yeah. only game you could play, you know? So <laughs> and I remember walking in, I called my dad and I'm standing in center field and my dad picks up the phone. And he's like, hey, bud. And I'm like, hey, dad. Uh, he's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm great. I was like, uh, hey, you know where I'm at? He's like, yeah, you're in Oakland. You're playing the A's, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. That's what the schedule says. And he hadn't seen me pitch yet. He hadn't been like, he works. So he hadn't been able to get out. And I said, dad, I want to tell you something. He's like, what's that? I'm looking at the very seats that I sat in when I told you I'm going to play here one day. And tonight I pitch in Oakland. He hung up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like. Well, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> so I was like, mm -hmm. so I called back and my mom answered and I said, and mom goes, Hey, Jerem. And I'm like, Hey mama. So I was talking to dad. The phone, phone uh, hung up, I guess. Or I lost connection. She goes, no, he's crying. And you know, your daddy's military. He does not cry. And I was like, really? He's like, Jeremy, like you understand what it's like for, you will understand one day when your father, you just told your father that you, you told him you were going to play and you achieve that dream and you see the seats that is your dad can't like, it was too much. He just hung up. And I remember that feeling of like, how cool is it that you, you're at that stadium and you told your father, this is where you're going to play your first year. You're there playing. And then San Francisco rolls around. That's the other team that I went and saw with my father and I ended my career there world championships when my dad and I watched the world series when it was San Francisco, Oakland A's as a kid, it was just such a really cool feeling where God just says, man, I heard a pastor two days ago say, you know, God doesn't care about sports. He's not caring if, you know, the Cowboys win or lose or who does what. And I, I wanted to raise my hand. I said, I disagree. I, I could understand that he doesn't care. You, you don't think you think, but, I think there's a difference. I think he does care about sport. He does care about the athlete. He does care about knowing a kid's dreams when he says, you will plan your way, but I will order your steps. Mm -hmm. He does care. He heard your dreams, and he says, now let me order your steps. It's not always going to feel like you want it to feel or look like you're going to look like, but I hear you. And that's where I felt God the most was like in these moments of like, 
the circle of life of, of, of coming back and being on a world championship team. My last world championship with Kansas City, I came up with them. I left Kansas City getting traded, feeling like a complete loser and hating the game. And literally the last time I played on that field, I walked off as the Game 7 winner in a World Series. Like, wow. you can't make that stuff up and yeah. say God doesn't care, you yeah. know? Like, it was great. Wow. Let's talk about how God used uh, that story, because I totally agree with you. God can use any situation, any scenario uh, for his glory and his good. And he's happy, just like your dad was happy when he saw you do exactly what you said you were going to do. What you did, though, was use your platform, your status as that superhero athlete to really do some cool stuff for the community as an ambassador. Uh, you got involved in a lot of different causes. Can you talk about some of those that were really important to you and how you got involved in them? Yeah. You know, when I got to Colorado and I met that girl, like that was kind of what started Generation Alive, which is a nonprofit I run now. Well, I don't run it. Uh, I started it. I'm on the board, but uh, they're doing a great job. My They're up in Spokane. But we do a lot of stuff in poverty. And because my thing, my biggest thing was seeing that young lady and being like, man, we put our pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else. And I understand because of media and because of the whole thing of an athlete, that superhero thing kicks in. But if reality is, and you and I both know this, like we're just a bunch of dorks like everybody else. We just throw a ball over a plate. We can hit a baseball. There's nothing, there's nothing really that crazy, like superhero ish that we do. We just do something well, just like someone might teach better than us or someone might, run a bank or they know numbers. We just knew how to throw a ball over a white part of a plate where we asked to throw it, you know? And so it was for me having that reality of like, remember who you are. It was like, man, I just want to be, I want to have a reality of like, I might be on this baseball field, but I'm no better than you. And I'm not some person that can be like, Ooh, make sure there's security around me or Ooh, don't ask no, nah, man, you want an autograph here? If that's what makes your day, man, this is great. If that's what helps, inspires you, I'm glad that I was able to partake in that. But I, I'm i not much more than a, just a human being. So I wanted to use the platform that naturally that sports or media outlets give you is to help people dream big. And, you know, I, I, I started when we started Generation Live, it was to how can we how can acts of compassion alleviate the pains of poverty? Poverty will not go away. It's always going to be here. It has been here since the beginning of time. It will be here when time ends. But we can help alleviate the pains from it by acts of compassion mm-hmm. and 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 bring joy to a situation. And I just wanted to use the platform any way I could. I mean, a lot of it, obviously, Scott, is 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 when you're playing. Yeah, man, you can give financially quite a bit and you can help out a lot of different causes and make impactful gifts financially. Um, and then when you're done, you got you still have a platform to carry a message. You still have influence in athletes' lives and people's lives and fans' lives because of maybe just because people appreciate watching you play and 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 want to hear how you your perspective on life. But I just wanted to be a part of all of that. And so when I got to San Francisco, it was such an impactful thing because I knew that that was a city that really gave a lot of causes. And there's a lot of things in that city that I don't agree with, but there's a lot of things in that city that I do. And, and one of them is the fact that they love the human being very, very well. They, there is a run, a walk, a parade, a cause, a 5k or uh, something going on every day in that city 
that's helping different situations out. And I just really, God just really showed me that this is the platform that I want you to pitch for is it's about everybody else. And when I got in the human trafficking aspect of it, there's a group called not for sale in San Francisco. Um, I was starting to do a lot of water wells in, uh, in Africa at the time I was putting with living water at the time I was putting in some water wells in Uganda and Gulu area. And uh, everywhere that we they put water wells, they talk about this poverty, and then you'd read about the area, and they would talk about slavery, and I was like, "What the?" And I was just like everybody else back in two thousand and six. You know, human trafficking wasn't exposed as much yet, and so you initially thought, "Didn't slavery end with the Civil War?" Like that's literally where my brain was at, not even thinking of any other country, right? And just dabbling more about it and seeing the the sex slavery and the labor slavery, I'm like, "We're still doing this stuff." And it's all, it's a how much billion dollar business. And like your brain just starts to get frustrated. And I literally found not for sale just because a buddy told me about uh, Dave Batstone and, and I reached out to him. He happened to be a professor at USF. So he thought someone was pulling a prank on him when I, when I emailed him because he, he's a big giants fan. So he knew they had signed me and um i said no it's not a prank i really want to know about this and so he sat me down we did everything man oh we did we we got everything we got guys involved in the free to play stuff where guys were donating for per double or per homer or per strikeout and we took all that money i had like 50 ball players involved in it and and we built a basketball court for a a huge like sporting arena area for an orphanage over in the golden triangle in thailand just because we wanted kids to have, they've been in adult situations, some of them since they were like eight, sick to say, but 18 months old, they've been raped and put in these situations. And we want these kids to be like, hey, it's time to be a kid. Go play Foursquare. Go play basketball. Go, you know, like you, you don't need to be a part of adult stuff. This is this is not your area. And man, it was really awesome to me. And I remember sitting there thinking, Nobody should be for sale, which I get. But then I'm like, mm, we're technically are as baseball players were for sale. So how do we how do we get these guys to understand what we're trying to go after? And my biggest thing, Scott, was like the platform that I was given. I was given because I had the freedom to dream. And I remember and I said, man, I remember sitting in that Oakland Coliseum saying one day, dad, I'm going to play here. Well, slavery kills that ability to say one day I'm going to be because mm -hmm. someone else tells you who you're going to be. Wow. And that's not fair. And so I just said, I want to try to use my platform right now where I'm at, just where I'm at at this moment in my life. I want to try to help these kids and these young minds say one day I'm going to be and actually be able to say it freely. That's why I fought for human trafficking. That's why I fight for the compassion that alleviates poverty, whether it be food programs. We do a lot of food packaging stuff because your brain needs to be able to think and you don't need to be worrying about what bed you're going to sleep in, who's going to buy you to do things to you, who's going to put you in a field without pay. Like you don't need to be able to do that. You need to be able to say one day I'm going to be, and I need the freedom to be able to try. And that's what I fought for quite a bit in baseball. Uh, and it's changed a little bit now since I've retired. I'm still a part of it, but I'm obviously more into men's stuff now. Like I'm really into not just men, but I think relational stuff and vulnerability. And so I've been really kind of dr uh, being driven that way, but using my platform, but it's been great. Jeremy, I want to um, refer to something. So you, you actually are an author too. You've written a book to stir a movement, life, justice, and the major league baseball. Um, 
first of all, I want to know why you wrote that book. And then I want to ask a follow-up question. Yeah. So I wrote that book, you know, at first it was, I was worried about it because I thought it would be a biography. And I'm like, I am that time. I was like, man, 29, 30 years old. Like I have no reason to write a biography. I haven't even lived like a third of my life yet, you know? So like, and so I didn't want that, but I wanted people to understand because I had an author, uh, it stirred from this deal because there was a, there's a lady at Denver, uh, who called me one day and she goes, I don't understand why baseball and how does baseball and trafficking have anything to do with each other? And so in, in trying to think about that story and, and, and explain that to her, and I did an article with her, I had a buddy named Mike King reach out to me after he read the article. And he's the one that turned me on to Dave Batstone, actually. And he's also the one that uh, had turned me on to the food initiatives that we do at Generation Alive now. He does one out of Kansas City called Something to Eat. And it had been something that I early on funded to get this program. And then we took it on at GA as well, excuse me, at GA as well. And and he said, man, you need to write a book. I'm like, I don't know how to write a book, Mike. I'm a, I, I can communicate. I like to talk. I don't like to write, nor do I have time, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll come out. And so he came out and he recorded four days with me, 80 topics. He goes, this is how you do it. We're going to go to over 80 topics and I'm going to record the entire thing. So here's the 80 topics. Talk about how you view this, how you view this. How you view. So I did it. And then he, we sent it to a ghostwriter. He took all that stuff, put it into a book, did a great job. Um, and we wrote this book because the reason why I wanted to write it was because I wanted people to understand my story early on. Baseball became like Groundhog's Day, and it didn't make sense to me. Because if my life was go to the field, get cheered, get booed, win, lose, go home, if that's why I'm on this earth – there is something wrong with my perspective of life. If that's why the heart beats inside my chest is to go do that, that there's something wrong here. I don't, I don't see that that's how God works. It seems like a shallow reason to be on earth, right? And so I wanted people to understand how I got to that perspective of why I fight for, for, for poverty or why I fight for injustice that goes on. And in the book, I really wanted to get across, it's not just trafficking. It's not just hunger. It's not just... Um, you know, lack of water uh, in this world. The greatest injustice that ever existed is people don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's honestly the greatest injustice ever. But along those lines, right after that, when Jesus said, hey, if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. That's how we got the Something to Eat program. If they're naked, clothe them. He told you the injustices that were going to go on throughout humanity. And that's what we're to be focused on. And when we're here for a re, when we're here, when we're gifted to do whatever job we're to do, it's still to look to some of these things and be like, man, how are we doing giving back in this scenario when we have all those things? Do unto others you want done unto you. My, my tattoo on my left forearm says, no man shall live for himself. That's the concept. And that's the reason for the book uh, was to show that concept. And so I was very thankful I wrote it. I'm actually going to do a, a, a rerun on it. Uh, here shortly, I'm going to do the audible as well. So I'm I'm, I'm excited for it. And, and uh, it's been a great, it was a great way for me to get out my message. So one of the things that you wrote about in your book also, which I did not know until I did a little research on you, and I have not read your book, but I look forward to it. Um, you once returned a half a million dollars to the Giants after discovering a clerical error in your contract. That mm-hmm. is an amazing 
act of integrity right there. I would yeah. love for, for you to tell us that story and talk about why integrity is so important to you. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. And I waited because of that. And what I was worried about is if I were to tell the story too early, people would think, oh man, here he is. He just wants to puff himself up and say he gave a half million. Ooh, he makes millions. Half million must not be much to him. That's a lot of, I don't care how, yeah. if you're a billionaire, a half million dollars is going to be a lot. So it is a lot of money, but I didn't want that perspective. That That's not why I wanted to, to necessarily write it. It was from the integrity side. Uh, but I had to be careful when I wrote it because one, I wanted, I, I had to be sensitive to the giants. I didn't want to make them look bad. Right. Cause as a team making a clerical error like that, that, that looks bad. Right. That, but then also I, I wanted to make sure that I was respectful to the entire story of the situation. And so when I wrote that in the book, it was to show that, Hey, I'm willing, I'm not just telling you to live integrity. I'm not telling you to fight for injustice. I live this deal. And it's not just a, Hey, how can I get into the media and the news by showing, Hey, I give back. You see a lot of celebrities that give to something or a ball player that gives to something. And all it is, is to promote a different deal. Right. I didn't want that. And so when I wrote that part of it, it was a big part of my story because I remember the call that I got. So I just, so when I signed a two year deal with the giants, it was great for me. Cause I was year to year for most of my career up until that. Actually I was year to year every year of my career up until uh 2009 signed a two-year deal was like man finally i can kind of have a little breathing room take care of the family a little bit set up some stuff and then uh they tore it up after 09 i won setup man of the year and they tore that contract up and said we want to extend you and they were extending several guys kane uh wilson and then they came to me and they said we want to extend you so what we'll do is we'll just tear the old contract we'll give you another two-year deal including that we'll, we'll agree to what you were getting paid in 10 already, give you a salary in 11 with an option for 12. And so my agent was like, what do you think? I'm like, Mike, at this point in my career, anytime someone wants to extend me and we're having fun and I like where I'm at, I'm going to take the extension. Like, hey, man, this is taking care of a lot of situations. So we did the deal and they're great. Sabian, Sabian and Bobby Evans are just were phenomenal to negotiate with. They were bulldogs, but my agent Mike Moy, who you know real well with, mm -hmm. with PAO and stuff, and he he he's a great agent. He was a bulldog himself, but he did it with integrity and every and, and teams liked working with him. And so they were pretty easy negotiations when you have a guy that teams enjoy to 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 dialogue with in negotiations. And I remember uh, we got the deal done. I was super excited. Major League Baseball cleared it. It was a done deal. And I get up the next day. And I'm on my way to the ballpark and my agent's calling. And so I pick up the phone and I said, Hey, Mike, I thought he was going to congratulate me. I was like, man, Hey Mike, how you doing? And he's like, Hey Jeremy. He's like, well, we have an issue. And I'm like, shocker. He's like what? It, I failed the physical. Like what? Like uh, unbelievable. You know, like he's like, no, actually everything's good that way. He's like, your contract was approved by major league baseball. You, you you're set. There's nothing. You're good to go. And I'm like, well, what's the issue? He's like, well, they paid you a half million dollars more uh, in 09, uh, or excuse me, in 10. Uh, that's come, that's the year of the spring training 10. He goes, well, this year you're getting a half million dollars more than you agreed to. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, they just, when they wrote up the contract, you know, it was a situation where they, they, they're writing it up. They had other people write it up and they just assumed that they didn't really pay too close attention 
and to the actual numbers. And so they gave you too much. But the problem is for them is Major League Base- Baseball has approved the contract. There is mm-hmm. nothing they can do about it. Mm-hmm. It's your money regardless. And I'm like, all right. So the let me. What, what do you think the problem is? He's like, well, as your agent, I'm telling you, it's a good deal. It's a done deal. <laughs> awesome. Congratulations. Uh-huh. What about as my friend and co- Christian confidant? He's like, you're going to need to give that money back mm. because it's not your money and it's not integral and it wasn't what we agreed to. But Jeremy, I can't tell you to do that. Legally, I can't tell you to do that. I'm telling you as a non-agent, non-person, non-lawyer, it's not your money. And I was like, then we give it back. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, Mike, if I were to take that money, like you said, it's not my money. So people could say, well, but you could have taken that money, did a lot of good and given it away, give it away to somebody else, not back to the team. So now you think that I'm going to believe that God is going to sit in heaven and say, man, that is dirty money that you stole and you gave it to a good cause. I am so pumped about that. Like that's dirty money. That's not, that's stealing. Like God doesn't get a, I like, you can't give it to a Christian cause after you stole it. Like, like that doesn't work out. And so Mike was like, Hey man, I'm with you. I just, you, I got to have an answer. I said, tell him I'll be there in 15 minutes. I'm on the way to the ballpark. Redo the contract. I was like, but I'm not tearing one up until I have the other on the table. So once that's on the table, I'll sign that one. Then tear the other one up. We're good to go. I'll get the money back. I don't have a problem with it. And I got to the ballpark and, Bobby Evans comes and sees me and uh good man. And he says, Jeremy, I got to talk to you. And so he pulls me in and I said, Bobby, I already know. He's like, yeah, I know, you know, but you, you don't have to give that money back, man. That, that this is on me. I just called your agent because I said, Hey, that's kind of our mistake. I'm really sorry, but I literally have to find that money to in the, in the budget. So if I got to clean up something or trim somebody back, like, that's how I got to do it. You don't give the money back. I said, no, you, that's not how you're going to do it because you might've made that error, but I didn't sign or agree to that. I, I didn't do any of that. So it's not something you have to clean up. Things happen. It is literally a piece of paper that someone typed up and hit the wrong button. It's not like you were trying to you know, sneak anything in here and, and I, I won't do it. The cool thing about it was, Scott, is I, I didn't think about it after that. And I did write it in the book, uh, and 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 it was after 2012 uh, that I that I that I wrote this in the book and and came out with it. The really cool thing about it was in 2012 I became a free agent, and we had won the World Series in Detroit, and we were we were we were sitting with Sabian, and Sabian was hugging everybody, which he never does. Uh, he only hugs and kisses you on the cheek when you win the World Series. Other than that, he's just an angry New Yorker. But uh, and and I remember him him just uh, hugging me and and kissed me on the cheek and said he's a, just shook his head and I was like, hey, he's like what? And I'm like, it's free agency here, bro. I said, Marin went through a lot right there. He's like, you're gonna do this now. You're not gonna let me enjoy. I was like, well, you can do it now or you can do it later but it's gonna happen and he's like i got it just give me give me two days to just enjoy the world championship i'm like all right so he so i'm driving home uh after the parade and my agent called and said well giants called and they're offering you a deal i'm like okay no he's like you haven't heard the deal yet yeah tell sabian i don't need to read the first deal because i know that in his final deal so it's no 
<laughs> he says, you just love me. He says, yeah, just tell him Jeremy said no. And you got to come in better and you know you want to. And I love him, but <laughs> it's no. And he's like, all right. So he kind of, he says, well, you know, I, I kind of have a strong uh, intuition that the Phillies are going to come in above that deal. And it's a really good one. And I'm like, and I'm not pitching for Philly. Mm. I was like, there's one team I'm not going to. And I said, I said that about San Francisco too. I said, I'd never play in San Francisco because in the book, I talked about how I was homophobic and I got, God corrected me on that, but it was funny. Cause I said, I'll never play in San Francisco. And next thing you know, I've ended up in San Francisco. So I had to be careful about that, you know, and, and, and God took me through a great journey of just understanding the human heart and people, not you know, all that other stuff that goes on with it. And, and, uh, I said, I don't want to play Philly. I'm like, I'll take less not to, I just don't want to. I've heard some horror stories in those situations. And, uh, he said, all right. So he came back and the, and Sabian kind of, he said, well, Sabian already came back. He laughed and he said, this is the final deal. It's $18 million and he is not giving you a penny more. He said, that's plenty of money for him. And I was like, you're right. It's actually more than I, I would have taken less than that, but you might as well take that. So it's like, so it was, we, we, we got this deal done and, and I, I, and Mike said, I got to tell you something though. I'm like, okay. He's like, you know, why Sabian came back with a better number. And he said, that's his final deal. And he knows it's a good deal. I said, why? He said, because Jeremy, he looked at me and said, Mike, I'm going to be honest with you because you were honest with us. Mm-hmm. And what he did by giving that money back to us, he thinks that it was like, ah, it's a contract. I know full well what he did and his character and his integrity are why I want him on this team and he can compete. But the fact of the matter is, Mike, I know you and I know him. And when you say, give me your best deal, I'm going to be respectful of that and cut to the chase and just give you the best deal. Mm -hmm. That is the best deal I'm going to give him. I'm not giving him a penny more. And as a man who is integral with us, I'm going to be integral with you. Let's just get this deal done and just be honest with each other. And it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's where it's not necessarily you give a ton of money, you get a ton of money. But what it was, was like you were saying, the integrity aspect will go a long way in life. And I was told a few years ago, I went through a terrible divorce and lost a 22-year marriage. And my mentor looked at me and said, Jeremy, it's the same as when you played in baseball. He says, you be honest, integral about every situation. Do not lie about one thing to make yourself look better and let God deal with the consequences. And it helped everything. It has allowed me to sleep well at night. It has allowed me to be the father I am to my children. It allows me to be the husband I am to my new wife. Like integrity is everything. And it gives you such a peace of mind that when you look a man in the eye or another woman in the eye or your children in their eyes, and you tell them the truth, you don't have to, you have a lot of peace. It might hurt for a little bit, but it gives you peace. And that's what it did for me. And and integrity is everything in my household. And I tell the boys, you lie, you break trust, you break trust. It takes a lot, a long time to earn back. Let's not do that. Just tell me the truth and we'll go from there. We'll deal with it, you know? And so that's kind of how I live life. I love the authenticity in that story. Um, the, the trade-offs that we could have gotten that might, you know, gain us a few more riches, but what do we sacrifice in, in the process? That's a great story. That's right. <clears throat> um, so Jeremy, you now, since baseball, you are the CEO of free, free Rome brewing company. And this podcast is not sponsored by a beer company, but if it were, 
<laughs> we would be sponsored by Free Roll. Yeah, so I'm going to yeah. put in a shameless right. plug here. You got to go try yeah, Jeremy's yeah. craft beer. I've tried it. It's pretty good. Um, but you you do a cool thing down there at the brewery, and you're just north of San Antonio and Bernie. You invite this community of guys to come out on Thursday nights and just hear stories, um, authentic stories of life and how God's worked in the lives of some of these men. Um, what is it about this community that you've started that's so special? You know, I, yeah, I, it was weird. Um, the beer industry, you know, I didn't come from a family that had alcohol. Like we never, my parents don't have alcohol. They don't drink. Uh, there was none of it allowed in the house. I think my mom had a hard time at first <laughs> knowing that I owned a brewery, but, uh, she's gotten past that now. But I, I, I think that the biggest thing for me that I, that I can see is I just followed what God asked me to do. And there's going to be a lot of people, even maybe listen to the podcast, like you're going to drop that God asked you to start a beer company and provide alcohol for people. And yeah, I, I truly believe he did. And, and there's a few reasons for that. One, I was speaking in uh, California at a brewery called Jack Russell Brewing Company up in Sacramento. I actually went in to speak at a church called Rolling Hills um, Church in, in, in Sacramento. It's a bigger church, but uh, the pastor is a young guy and he said, man, I just want to, I want to have you come in and, and share your heart. And I said, okay. And he said, but I want, but I want to have a men's night, uh, the night before, would you be willing to speak at that before you speak at the church? I said, sure. He said, well, I have a problem. I can't ever get men to come to the men's nights. And I'm like, well, where do you have them? And he's like, well, I have them at the church. And I'm like, no man wants to sit in a classroom after work. I'll promise you that. And he was like, yeah, I know. I agree with you. That's why I'm calling to make sure you're okay with where we're having it. And I was like, oh, I said, where are we having it? He's like, oh, it's at a brewery. I just didn't know if that offend you. And I, I laughed at him. I said, you obviously don't know me. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'll be good. I'm good at a brewery. And he's like, oh, man, it's great. So I go, I show up at this brewery and there's like 300 men. And he's like, I didn't even know this many guys went to my church at one time. And I'm like, he's like, it's got, maybe it's because you're a Giants player. I'm like, no. It doesn't have anything to do with the Giants player. I mean, there might be some intrigue there, but if they had other things to do, I'm not an active Giants player. It's not like Buster Posey's coming up here to speak. You know, you know, I've been retired for a few years. If guys had other things to do, they would go do them. I said, the reason why you did is because you put it in an environment where they feel safe. And whether you allow drinking in your church or not, there's a lot of Christian men out there that will have beer at their house and they won't have anywhere else because they just don't feel safe. They don't want to be judged. They don't want to be, you know, looked at wrong or, or maybe they don't drink beer at all, but it's like, it's, it's just a good fun place. And I, you know, I'll go have an NA drink over there, but at least it's outdoors and it's in the, in the Hills up here. And it's at a brewery where people are having some enjoyment and there's no judgment going on because they're at a brewery and it's just easy. And he says, that's why they're here. And I remember walking up on stage and I had a beer in my hand and I lit my cigar in the other. And you see men like just look at each other when I lit this cigar up and they left. There's like like 30 of them that got up. And I was like, well, I don't understand. Beer doesn't offend you, but cigars do. And it's, but they all came back and they had cigarettes and cigars in their hand because they didn't <laughs> know if they were allowed to do it because of where they were at. So they were all like, well, if you're doing it, we're doing it. I'm like, light up, man. It's all good. Like, I'm not worried about it. Like the message is going to be the same, you know? So do your thing. And, and I remember having a, just talking about the Buffalo mentality. I was going through a tough time. I knew that my, I was starting to lose the, I was probably gonna lose the marriage. 
And I, but I was, but I didn't want to talk about that because I, it was just not something I wanted to, at that point felt comfortable. But what I did do is just talk about going through storms and how God is going to carry you through them and being men of vulnerability and transparency and not hiding and just being who you are because people can't love you if they don't know who you really are. And if you're always putting on this mask or this facade or you're running from storms, people can't love your backside and they can't love a fake person. But they can love someone who's charging a storm and they can love someone who's just being real because they know what they're loving. And uh, talking about that was such an important deal. And I remember getting done. I felt so excited. And I remember I was driving back to San Francisco to fly out and I felt like God say, that's what you're going to do. I need you to start a brewery in Bernie and I want you to do men's nights and I want you to be a part of the community and I want you to do outreaches and do it and do it well. And I remember feeling that, and I literally got to my hotel across from the stadium, a place called Hotel Via, and I called Brandon, who I knew from 21st Amendment, who did a lot of my fundraisers at that brewery when I was playing. And I said, hey, I'd love to talk to you about something. I just want to know if you're available. He's like, where are you at? I said, well, I just got to my room at the Via. He's like, bro, I'm on the rooftop of the Via. I've got a little small party going on. I'm, I'm right here. I'm like, what? So I got up, went up the elevator. He was hanging out right there. And I told him my idea and I pitched it to him pretty much on a napkin. And he's like, I'm in. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I'm from El Paso. I just came here to run breweries, but man, I wouldn't mind doing a venture as long because we've always wanted to kind of be a part of a brewery. And he, I, I, you know, I told him you guys have ability to become owners and he got excited about it. And he goes, well, I can't go without Jaron, who is a brewer that I used at 21st to help me with the beer that I would um, make for my fundraisers. And he's great. He's a great guy. And he's like, I'm like, you're not going to get Jaron, man. He's way too good. Like, you're not going to pull that guy at 21st. Top 19 brewers in the country. I mean, he's not the brewer, but he's one of the master brewers. So he's pretty good. And he's like, we'll get him. And I'm like, all right, man, let me know. I, this is what I want to do if we can do it. And then he called me about two weeks later and said, Jaron's in. And I'm like, no way. He's like, yeah, but you have to call him. He wants to talk to you personally about it. And I'm like, all right. So I called him, talked to him. He said, I'm in. They moved their families out four months later. It was crazy. They just got up and left and came out. And we started this thing. And we have a great spot on Main Street in Bernie, which is a great little German town, just a little boutique town here. It takes quite a bit of traffic. And it's growing. And, uh, man, God just orchestrated everything from the building to the guy that owns the building going in with, like, pretty much making it however we wanted to and, and coughing up the funds for it. And we have a 7,200 square foot beer garden out back. It's one of the biggest beer gardens in Bernie that I can do men's stuff. I mean, God just like put together the perfect place for us. And I remember getting going and I said, I'm going to do third Thursday men's nights and I'm going to bring out speakers. I'm going to have music. We have music. We have, we're obviously a venue, so we have music, but I want, you know, some worship music, men's nights, cigars, beer, NA stuff. We have every, we have food trucks and guys show up and, and man, they just sit. And I, my whole, my whole reason behind it. And I tell guys is because we need to be able to hear from people that can speak into our lives, not just leadership. We have leadership guys come out, but I'm talking about, I want you guys to charge storms. This is a herd community, man. It's what Buffaloes do. We get together, we hang out, we iron man, our iron sharpens iron. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to challenge you, but I'm going to challenge you from a perspective of trust. And I let the brewery go for about 
not quite a full year before we started this because I wanted people to trust what we were there for. We're part of the community. We have trivia nights. We're part of the parades where we, 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 we do fundraisers here. We have groups come out and, and we do collabs with other people. We have music. We love on people. We encourage people. This is just what we do. And we have run club where you can come run here. Like we are a part of the community. And once people started trusting the fact that I wasn't just there to be just another uh, food and drink place on main street, we're there to be p- literally a part of the community. And I launched this men's night, men showed up and now I'm just pouring into them, loving on them, encouraging them. And my wife is starting a women's night on, on uh, every first Thursday, starting in September, same thing happens. They're bringing speakers in to speak to the women, same stuff. She's starting her night. They, you know, we have comedy nights on the other Thursday. I mean, it's just a great deal that we have, but I'm able to literally push the love of Jesus in a way that people feel safe and they don't feel judged. And it's a great time to just run life, know that it's going to be good and bad times. It's been great. And it's been a good outlet for me because I needed that when I started over and God's not provided me with a wonderful woman that I'm married to and three wonderful boys. But when you lose a marriage, when you retire, all that stuff goes away. Everything that was normal was gone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God, this is not good for me at 40 years old. Like I, and, but he restored it. And that's where our, it's been amazing is like, I'm giving you another avenue. I'm allowing you to have a platform to, to, to spread the message that I need you to spread. I'm allowing you to have a job that you can use your brain. You have a podcast room in there. Use your, use your platform that way. I've given you a wonderful bride that supports you in every way, shape and form. She has a shop right across the street. She's a retail store right there. So we are like running both sides of the street. It's like, it's awesome. She gives away free beer, but it's not my beer. I said, you can go ahead and give away the cheap stuff. You're not giving away my (laughs) stuff, but it's just an awesome, awesome situation where I, I feel like I'm impactful. Like I was able to do with the giants where I could be a part of the community. I'm just not playing baseball anymore. But I'm still being a part of the community. We're giving back. We're a give back brewery. So we uh, some of our beer goes to different causes and we we donate stuff. I mean, it, it's just been so awesome for me to say, man, I don't have to travel around the country and make impact in all these different cities as a baseball player. I'm going to sit right here. And people are coming to me from all over the country. People, I mean, and they I, amazing enough, Scott. We've had people that I just have no idea what third Thursday men's nights are, and they're walking in and they're like private event, but then they see men's night. I've seen wives look at their husbands and like it's a men's night. Like they're visiting, and she's like, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna have a glass of wine. It's men's night. Go over there and see what they're doing. And he I've had guys light up cigars and grab a beer and sit and listen. They're like, I was just coming here because I was on vacation. I didn't even know anything about this place. And like they, but they got talked to and now I didn't know how to handle it, but some women trickle back there. I'm like, well, it's kind of men's night. And I know we're kind of sometimes living in a country that's confused on, on that from time to time, but I'm like, it, it's men's night. Like the women, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you don't understand that, but they don't get right with the guys. Cause I have it blocked, but they'll sit around the tables on the outsides and they they'll listen. And the reason I, at first I was against it, but then I was like, hold on. Why wouldn't as a woman sitting there and I tell the speakers, speak to the men. Don't worry about women. Like don't, don't there's no offense here. 
speak to them because what they're doing is the women are actually, I'm like, what this is, is God saying, no, I actually maybe want those women there because what it's doing is it's saying, man, they're hearing what men are needing to feel what men are maybe wanting to feel, but don't feel like they can. So what better message could your wife give you than to No, I heard that. And I need to make sure you have a safe environment to thrive in that because that's why you're drawn to that night. And now I, I, as your wife and your best friend, why wouldn't I provide that? And, and so like for them, it's been great. Even for the women, my wife's even said, I've just learned so much. Just I'll go back there and kind of, kind of listen. And it's been, it's just kind of organically taken on this life and, and, and it's just been so much fun and, Man, so many women, women have come up and thanked me for it, you know? Like, hey, man, we really appreciate you do this for our husbands. I mean, we've had some that are like, why is it called men's night? Why can't it be called, you know, all-inclusive night? I'm like, uh, well, because it's men's night. Like, why can't women, why can't you speak to women? Well, because I'm not a woman. I'm a man. And that's where I feel comfortable speaking. And I'm like, we're going to have a women's night, and you're not going to see me there. So it's okay. Like, it'll be, it'll be fun. It'll, you know, so we've had to deal with some of that, but it's been so good. And then we're having couples nights and it's just been, I mean, God's been good, man. It's been great. I know I got wordy there, but. Well, I can tell you're passionate about it. And Jeremy, I really appreciate these stories that you've shared with us about integrity, about authenticity, uh, about how you're using your platform, regardless of whether it's a, a beer owner or a major league baseball player. So Thank you for no, sharing. You. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to go check out Free Rome Beer uh, and check out Jeremy's book, To Stir a Movement, Life, Justice, and Major League Baseball. Jeremy, thanks so much, bud. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Get in the Game podcast, part of the Sports Spectrum podcast network. Check out sportspectrum.com for more content. And while you're there, Consider subscribing to our Sports Spectrum magazine. It makes a great gift and is perfect for the sports fan who loves Jesus. You can subscribe today at sportspectrum.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Get in the Game.